0: Once again, I am excited to be up here and ready to jump into God's Word, and as you may have heard, we are starting a new teaching series this morning that we've called Better Together. And, um, and before, we, before I have you open the Bibles, before we turn uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians, I want to start with this, with some topics. I want you to listen to these topics, and... Um, And 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 think with me: Are these things that are still relevant today? Are these topics that we need to consider? Are these topics that come up in conversation in 2019? Um, How do uh, should there be uh, cliques, groups within a church family? Should there be divisions between rich and poor Christians? Uh, What does God have to say about sex? And where, and where, what are his good plans for sex in the midst of a culture that says, do whatever feels good? Is this still an issue that we're wrestling with in our culture and in our day? Three people think so, thank you. <laughs> uh, is it important to consider what God has to say about marriage? Yeah, here we got a great couple with us today. We're praying for them. It's important for us to consider what God has to say about marriage. Um, the question often arises, is there ever, uh, is divorce ever permissible? How do we relate to other people that have different lives and cultures and customs than us? Is that ever something you encounter? Yeah. Um, how do we handle disagreements when we come to difficult situations between friends, between believers? And then when, even with, uh, with how we grow in Christ, are there some people in the church that are more important than others? Are there some that have better skills, more spiritual gifts? Is this an important question? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Is that an important issue to know about? Yes. And, and if so, what does that have to do with us today? Okay, so if these are the topics that are, still, that are still important to us, that we still sometimes wrestle with, that we still need to seek God's counsel on, what's really interesting, and you'll probably, you might know where I'm going with this, is that these topics are addressed in the book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians, which is a letter written in the, in the early to mid-50s. And I'm not talking about the early to mid-1950s. I'm talking about a letter written in 52, 53 AD uh, from a church leader to an early church. And, and, and it's just interestingly, those topics were addressed back then, and, and we just said that they're still... Uh, important to us today in 2019. And the reason for that, I think, the reason for that I know is because God's word is living and active and absolutely relevant and applicable to us today. Amen? So we, what God had to say uh, a couple thousand years ago through this letter, uh, God still has to say to us today. So we're in this new series, gonna teach through the letter called 1 Corinthians. Grab your Bibles, open to 1 Corinthians chapter one. And, uh, and we are gonna start off today and this series will take us quite a while as we ask God to show us what he is teaching us through this letter called 1 Corinthians. So grab your Bibles, bring it with you on Sunday, open it up, find 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament. In the back part of your Bible, the New Testament, you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts and then Romans. And then you'll come to 1 Corinthians. So uh, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and and, uh, let me pray for us as we start. Father God, as always, when we come uh, to your word, we pray that you would uh, speak to us through your word, that by the power of your spirit at work in us, that we would uh, hear from you this morning, that we would understand what we are reading and studying. And God, I pray that for me and everyone here, We would not just hear your word and walk away, but God, because of your working in our lives, would we have open hearts and open minds, ears to hear from you this morning in such a way that our lives would be changed, in such a way that we would be closer to you, desiring to serve you in all that we do. So we give you this time as we look to you through your word now, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's, let's just start this, the beginning of this letter, kind of the introductory lines of this letter, the first three verses. I'll read them to you, and then we'll take a little bit of a closer look. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right there as we begin this letter, it's a, it's a typical letter uh, for those days. And it starts with who the author is. It's going to include who the letter is going to. And even in these first couple of, of, of verses, we see some hints to what Paul is doing and what God is doing through Paul and what this letter is going to be about. So we'll take a look at that this morning. So first, who is Paul. Well, Paul's birth name was Saul. He was first known as Saul. He was a man from Tarsus, which is in modern-day Turkey. He was a a faithful Israelite, member of God's people, Jewish descent, even trained as a religious leader among God's people. And as I studied this week, I I came across this great paragraph that just gives us a little bit of a summary, a little bit of an introduction to who Paul is. So um, let me share that with you. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, the church began to multiply significantly. So so after Jesus is raised from the dead, now people are hearing the good news and becoming followers of Jesus. And so the church is growing rapidly. It says then, at that time, Saul was a passionate opponent of Christianity Saul was anti-Christian. Saul, thinking that, that the Christians were a threat to his uh, religious training and to his viewpoint of God, uh, began to persecute Christians. It says that he spent all of his energy attempting to extinguish this newly kindled flame. He was directly involved in violent persecution. He stood by and watched Stephen's murder. Stephen was an early Christian leader. You can see that. You can find that story in Acts chapter eight. And Acts, the book of Acts in the Bible tells us that Paul, or Saul, same guy, ravaged the church. So this is the man writing our letter. But then, one day, it all changed. Saul was making the 150-mile trip from Jerusalem to Damascus. And while he was making this trip, it says that he had legal authority to hunt down any Christians and arrest them. But I love how the author puts it of this note put it, as he trekked forward to arrest these Christians, Saul was arrested by Christ. As Saul began being anti-Christian and trying to thwart the spread of Christianity, as he thought that he could uh, arrest Christians, instead what happened to him is he was arrested by Christ. He was struck blind and he heard a heavenly voice calling him to follow him and Saul did. Uh, Later, he became known as Paul. So here we have in verse 1, he's saying he's the author of this letter, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle. Why is he saying by the will of God? This is kind of interesting. And we find out kind of by reading this this exchange of letters that uh, perhaps he's feeling the need to defend his authority why should they listen to this letter? Who is this guy? And so he's giving them an indication, I was called to be an apostle and specifically called by the will of God. In other words, my authority comes from Jesus himself. When he was journeying on the Damascus Road and was struck blinded and spoken to and rescued and brought out of sin and, uh, and into life and brought out of darkness and into the light, he was, he was reached, he was arrested, he was rescued. He was rescued by Jesus himself. And so Paul is making it clear, I am called by the will of God to be an apostle. An apostle it means one that is sent out, one who is sent out on a mission. And in this case, one of the things that Paul became most known for is, is as a church planter. As an early, now, now a Christian, now a follower of Jesus, he becomes one of the most influential people in the history of of, of our Bible and the author of much of our New Testament. And so he says, I'm an apostle, a church planter. And one of the things that we see as we know more about Paul's life from elsewhere in the Bible is that he traveled around, going to towns, proclaiming the good news of Jesus and starting new churches in these towns, knowing that people could find life in Jesus, knowing that the good news of God could be spread throughout the world as he started new churches. And so that's what he was doing. So so verse one tells us about the author. And it's interesting that it notes Paul, called by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. Uh, The way letters were written at the time, this is not likely a a co-author as much as probably just a co-worker of Paul, someone that was accompanying him at the time, perhaps someone that was a scribe and wrote down what he wanted to say. But here's a really interesting thing I came across that you might be interested in. We don't know this for sure, but if you want, sometime go to Acts chapter 18 and read the story of Paul's beginning the church in Corinth. And in that story, in Acts chapter 18, you'll hear the mention of another Sosthenes. Is this the same guy? We don't know. In Acts 18, it says Sosthenes was was the ruler of the synagogue, a, a Jewish person. But wouldn't it be cool if Sosthenes, if it was the same Sosthenes who had been rescued by Jesus, become a Christian, and now Paul is writing this letter from from himself and his brother Sosthenes. Cool idea. Not sure. Not sure if that's the case. All right, the letter introduction continues. Verse two, to the church. So Paul, I'm writing this letter. He says, to the church. Help me out. We always remind ourselves, is church a building? Is church an event? A time slot? It's not just Not just Sunday morning at 10.45 a.m. Church is what? Who? People. The people of God. So so Paul addresses his letter to the church, to the people of God who are joining with God on his mission to the world. Uh, And here and elsewhere in the Bible, I think it's important to note this. There is nowhere in the Bible that envisions a follower of Jesus apart from the church. Yes, he's writing this letter to Christians. Yes, he wants those individual Christians at that time and us this morning to hear the message. But it's addressed to the church because the Bible has no vision of a follower of Jesus apart from being part of the church family. And so that's why we exist Faith Church is a family of growing Jesus followers who are on mission together. And that phrase reminds us of important things about who we are and what we're about. Faith Church is a family. It's important to gather together as fellow Christians. Faith Church is a a group of growing followers of Jesus. It's important that you and I, and as, as a church family, we are looking to grow spiritually. Not just back when we first came to know Jesus, but are we always growing in Jesus and being changed by him? Faith Church is a family of growing Jesus followers who, as we grow in Christ, then join in God's mission to the world. We become conduits of God's love to those around us. We become proclaimers of the good news of Jesus. The Bible never envisions Christians apart from a church family. So verse 2 addresses it to the church. To the church, what else does verse 2 tell us there? To whose church? To the church of, to the church of God. This is really interesting because we have to be careful here. uh, And perhaps the Corinthians were not careful. It's God's church. It's not about us. It's not about our own preferences, our own importance. The the Corinthians that this letter is written to seem to have been getting mixed up about making themselves seem more important and looking better and, and putting others down and causing problems. And, and we need to see that, that Paul wrote this letter to the church of God. It's God's church. Churches exist to proclaim his greatness, not ours. To the church of God that is where? What does verse 2 tell us? Who's the letter written to? The church of God where? In Corinth, in a town called Corinth. So let's look at the map. So we can see where this was. On Paul's travels throughout the world, starting new churches, one of his stops included the city of Corinth that you see there toward the middle of the screen. It's in modern-day Greece. And um, and to the right there, the ma- this is a, a map of what w- the way things were in, in those days. On the right side, what is labeled Asia, is modern-day Turkey. And so on Paul's travels, he... Uh, he includes a stop in Corinth just a few years before he wrote this letter. So I said he wrote this letter, and we think in 52, 53 AD. I think I said that wrong earlier. Um, And and it was just a couple of years before that that he was on these travels and ends up at Corinth. And so as we study this letter, I think we want to get an idea of what was Corinth like. What were the people there like? And so I want to, again, read to you from my studies this week um, from scholars that, that, that know a lot about this and have figured stuff out. We want to see what Corinth was like so we can see how that informs what we continue to study together. Corinth sat on the isthmus connecting the Greek mainland with the Peloponnesian Peninsula. This location made it a flourishing crossroads for sea traffic between the Aegean region and the Western Mediterranean. It was a place, listen to this, it was a place where many cultures and many religions mingled. Since it was a Roman colony, Roman law and customs were important, particularly among the upper class, but there was also many gods and many lords that found a home in Corinth. And the worship of these gods was fully integrated into government affairs, civic festivals, trade guilds, social clubs, and everyday life in general. Corinth was also a destination for traveling professional um, speakers who charged a fee for attendance at their entertaining displays of of entertainment and rhetoric. And and these people would advise people on how to advance socially. So the Corinthians are, are a mixture of cultures and religions and looking at different gods and wondering how they can get ahead and how they can make themselves more important and how they can advance in their culture. It gives us a little insight as we learn then about the kind of things that Paul wants to write this letter uh, to. So what was Paul's history in Corinth? We see where he arrived in Corinth on the map. I said that that was one of his journeys to start new churches. And when he first got to Corinth, and began proclaiming the good news of God, there was some initial resistance to this message. And so I want to look, I want to show you, I want to look into Acts 18. We'll put this verse on the screen. These are the words that Paul hears in a vision from God. So he's gotten to Corinth. He's proclaiming God's message. There's some initial resistance. And God speaks to Paul through a vision and says this, "'Do not be afraid.'" but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. Look at this last phrase, for I have many in this city who are my people. Do you hear God's heart there? This city, this this mix of religions and cultures and people and issues and questions and various gods that are being worshipped and various social issues coming to light. And God uh, sends Paul there to proclaim uh, God's message and then says, I'm with you. Keep speaking. Keep teaching because I have many in this city who are my people. God saying, I have many who I'm going to rescue, who are going to find new life because of me. So then Paul stayed there, the Bible tells us, about a year and a half in Corinth, teaching the word of God among them. So this shows that, that Paul's history with these people, that he spent time in Corinth, that he started the church, that he proclaimed the good news of Jesus, that he, uh, that he uh, was this spiritual influence and friend to these people that he's now writing a letter to. So verse two says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, To those sanctified, what's that? Sanctified is a word that means we are being transformed as we follow Jesus, becoming more like Jesus as we follow Jesus. So he writes this letter to those that are being transformed because they know Jesus and follow Jesus. Called to be saints. What are saints? These are uh, kind of another word for Christians, but the word saint means set apart. These are set apart ones, people who are called to be set apart to God, whose lives are to be to God. So that's who Paul's writing this letter to, to the church, to the people that have been transformed by Jesus and are set apart by God. And then he writes, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I love that this translation of the Bible uses the word together there called to be saints together. And we called this series Better Together because as we study God's word in the coming weeks and we see what else First Corinthians teaches us, we will see that we are better together, that God intends us to live in community with other Christians. And, and his reminder here is that it's not just you, individual Christians. It's not just about you. It's not just about your preferences and what you want and you looking better and you making yourself more important. He says, he, I'm writing this letter to you together, the ones that are set apart by God, to recognize that you're part of something bigger, that you're together, that you're united with all followers of Jesus near and far. And so as he, even here in verse 2, I think Paul is giving us hints about future topics in this letter, that that he's addressing these people that could lean individualistic. He's addressing these Corinthians that could lean selfish. And he's addressing you and I today who could lean individualistic and thinking of self and what's good for me. And he's saying, together, together with other Christians, it's about unity. It's about building up others. It's about working together because churches exist to proclaim God's great love through the ultimate rescuer, Jesus Christ. Why are we together? Why does God bring us together? Why does Paul want the Corinthians to come together? Because churches exist to proclaim how great God is and how much he has showed us his love through sending his son to live, die, and be raised again. And that's because the gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners through Jesus That's what churches exist for. That's why Paul is taking this time to write this letter, to bring the Corinthians together, to to encourage them forward in joining God on his mission to proclaim the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, Paul here just is right in the beginning of a letter. This is the introduction of a letter. So in a, very, in, in a simple sense, he, uses a, he, uses a, he adapts a Greek greeting and uses the word grace. And he adapts a Jewish greeting and uses the word peace. But of course, if we camped on those words, there's incredible theological significance there. Grace is God's kindness to us, his his gift to us, undeserving people, His, his offering his grace. And peace has behind it the Jewish idea of shalom, which means peace, which means not just absence of conflict, but this whole life wellness, the peace of God, shalom, So he opens his letter by saying grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so I wanna take a look at a couple more verses this morning. But before we continue, let me me have us back up a second and think back if you will to the beginning when I I brought up some of those topics. And I ask you are some of these topics still uh, applicable to us today? Um, What does God have to say about sex, marriage, divorce, disagreements, people not getting along, people not understanding each other's customs, people putting themselves more important than others, people acting like their spiritual gifts are more important than others. If if we know that Paul is gonna have to address those questions, those topics in this letter, what does that tell us about the Church of Corinth? What kind of impressions do you get about what Corinth might be like? I hear some chuckles, I see a little head shaking, they're a bit messy, right? If Paul's going to have to address all these questions, if Paul's going to have to write this letter and go, hey, let me tell you, let me remind you what God has to say about marriage, what God's purposes in God-glorifying sex are, if I'm going to have to write you a letter and tell you how to get along with people, guess what we can infer about the Corinthian Christians? They're struggling a bit. Who, who do you, what kind of people do you think make up the church of Corinth? Corinth. Sinners, imperfect people, hurting people, broken people, people that maybe know the good news of Jesus but have forgotten or heard the laws of God and what's glorifying to God but have chosen to do their own thing. And it's not just the Corinthians, is it? It's all of us as th- th- that struggle to honor God in every way. And so, so if, if Paul's gonna need to address these problems, he's, that's what's gonna happen as we continue to teach and we read this letter. Paul needs to correct. He's got to set them straight. So I'm curious to see what he writes. Because if their issues, if they're messy and they've got issues and they've got questions and they're going against God and they've got uh, misunderstandings about the way they should behave, I'm curious to see what Paul's going to write in these next few verses and next few chapters because I'm sure Paul's going to let him have it. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. That's how Paul begins the letter. He knows who he's writing to. They've asked him a bunch of questions and indicated how messed up and confused they are. And he's writing back. And where he starts is, I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul, knowing who he's writing to, knowing that they're a disaster, knowing that they're making mistakes, knowing that they're not pleasing to God, starts with encouragement. He first comes at them with love. I love that God shows his love for the Corinthians here through Paul, that Paul's first words to them are are, are a demonstration of God's love and grace to them. It seems that this letter, as this letter begins, God through Paul is is looking for the positive, giving the benefit of the doubt. Even though these people, even though the Corinthians seem far from sanctified, seem far from transformed into being like Jesus, even though Paul knows they, they seem far from acting like saints set apart for God, he's rejoicing, those verses we just read, he's rejoicing in the good things that are going on before he addresses the problems. God, through Paul in this letter, sees that even in their sin, even in their imperfection, God is working. God is with them. God is making things new. Are you thankful that's how God approaches us? So back to verse four again. I give thanks to my God Always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's these things that Paul is thankful for. He knows, again, he knows who he's writing to. And yet, look what he looks for what to be thankful for. He looks for what is true. He looks for where God is working. So Paul says he is thankful that God has poured out grace and salvation to the Corinthians, right? We find out as we study this letter, they're not perfect. They're they're not very far on their way to being like Jesus. But God, through Paul, encourages and brings his love to them because Paul is thankful that God has rescued them by his grace. Paul thanks them in those verses we just read. Uh, God, sorry, try that again. Paul thanks God in those verses we just read that the Corinthians, that these early Christians have, that that God has enriched them with speech, knowledge, given them spiritual gifts. This is interesting because in a few chapters, we're gonna find out that Paul needs to correct them about these spiritual gifts. You're, You're misusing these spiritual gifts. You're prioritizing some of them more importantly than others. But here, At the beginning of the letter, don't miss this. Later, he's going to correct them about how they're using the spiritual gifts, okay? But now, at the beginning of the letter, Paul is saying he's thankful that they have the spiritual gifts. You know why? He's thankful they have spiritual gifts because that shows that they have the Holy Spirit of God living within them. And you know why he's thankful they have spiritual gifts? Because that shows that they have the Holy Spirit of God living within them. It shows that they've been saved by God's grace, It shows that they've been rescued from sin and death and hell and brought into the light and life in God. And so Paul is writing to these messy people, these imperfect sinners, and he's saying, thank God that he has rescued you by his grace. Thank God that I see the spiritual gifts at work because even though I'm going to talk to you about those later, it shows me you've been rescued. And he continues this excitement in verse 8. Look with me again at verse 8. Paul's continued excitement says it's the Lord Jesus that will sustain you to the end. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, God is faithful. So again, we got to notice here that Paul is sincerely thankful to God for these people that he's going to go on to correct and correct and correct and and tell them where they need to get it together. But he's sincerely thankful here and he's sincerely encouraging them despite not being perfect, despite the fact that they're going to need correction. One of the commentators, one of the scholars I studied this week in preparation wrote this. Paul looks, at the, Paul looks at the Corinthian church as it is in Christ. So Paul's not looking and seeing what's kind of on the surface and seeing the mess and seeing their questions and their confusion and their displeasing behavior. This person suggests that Paul looks at the Corinthian church, these believers in Jesus, and he sees them as they are in Christ Christ. Before he looks at anything else that's true about their church, anything else that's going on, anything else that's messy, anything else that's need correction, first, Paul sees what's true about them because they are in Christ, because they've been rescued by Christ, because they they are being made new as they follow Jesus. And so I just, as I studied this week, and I wanted to ask myself and you the same question, do we offer that to others? Do we do that for fellow Christians? Look at them and see them for what is true in Christ. Do we offer that same grace to brothers and sisters in Jesus? Do we see the mess and the imperfection and the sin and the questions and the struggles? Or do we at least first be conduits of God's love to them and see what is true about them because they are in Christ, because they've been brought out of the dark and into the light? That same author uh, or that same scholar continued and wrote, the warts in a church or in our fellow believers, the warts, so to speak, are examined and lamented. But often there is no vision of what God has already done in Christ. So where's our focus? As we look around our church family, as we look around fellow believers, as we interact with the world, is our focus on the, the, the warts or on what God is doing in our midst? How can Paul be this excited? How can Paul know everything he knows about the Corinthians and the mess that they're making, but still be this excited about them? He tells us in verse eight, because Jesus will sustain you to the end. Corinthians, believers in Jesus, faith church believers, I know you've been rescued and I'm thankful for that, Paul writes. And because you've been rescued, because you've been given spiritual gifts, God is at work within you. He's transforming you from the inside out. You are continuing to grow in Christ. And verse 8, Jesus will sustain you to the end. In verse 9, God is faithful. Elsewhere in the Bible, what God began in you, he will carry on to completion. Is good news. That is good news. So as we kick off this series today that we called Better Together, I want, I want to, here's where I want to, how I wanna finish. As we kick off this series, you're gonna see in the coming weeks, there's lots of topics to cover. This letter covers some really interesting things, some hard things, some things that are problems for the Corinthians, and they probably are still applicable to us in 2019. And so it's gonna give us a chance to think about different topics and what God has to say about this and what God has to say about that. But more than anything, why is Paul writing the letter to the Corinthians? Listen, just listen to me read these last few verses again and see what what comes out. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in all speech and all knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Was there anything that was a theme there? In a few lines, what was Paul's emphasis? There's a lot of topics and we're gonna, in 1 Corinthians, and we're gonna find out that as followers of Jesus, we're better together. That, that Paul has uh, exhortation, encouragement, and reminders for us to come together in unity, to work together, to not put others down, but to lift others up. And so there's gonna be a lot to cover, and we are better together, but this letter ultimately points to Jesus. This letter ultimately points to the good news of the gospel. The gospel is the good news That God rescues sinners like you and me. That sinful, broken, hurting, rebellious, go against God, displeasing to God, ask questions, get ourselves into messes. That broken, sinful you and me can be made right with a holy and perfect God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what this letter is about. And that's why we study God's word together. And that's why we come together to celebrate God's goodness to us through Jesus so that we can walk out these doors, go into our weeks, live amongst the people that God puts us in contact with as good news people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the amazing truth of the gospel, the good news that you bring us out of sin and death into forgiveness and life, that you bring us out of darkness and into the light. Father, we thank you first and foremost for your love to us through Jesus, for your rescue plan because of his life, death, and resurrection. We thank you for the cross where we can be made right with you. So Father, as we look to you, as we continue to study your word individually in, in our homes each day and as we study your word on Sundays together, God, speak to us, change us, remind us that you are with us that we can trust you in all that's going on because you see us and you are working and because you have many people in this city that are yours. We thank you for rescuing us, but God, would you use us as your people to Dallas and Oregon and beyond so that others too might find new life in you. God, we thank you that you sustain us to the end. We thank you that you are faithful. We thank you for the glorious truth of your grace, that we don't have to earn your love, that we don't have to match up for our salvation, that you've rescued us as a gift of grace. And before we leave this morning, God, would we reflect on peace that can be found in you. Shalom. Whole life wellness as you, as we trust you, as we, as we rest in you. Not that life will be perfect, but that in the midst of our circumstances we can find peace, shalom in you. So Father, as we continue in our time together this morning as the ushers come to receive our gifts and as we lift our voices in song, I pray that all we do would be out of thankfulness to you, your great love to us, the grace and peace that you pour out to us. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.